So I have a free gift for you. I realize that might sound a little say spitchy, but legit free gift. I have a practice log, which I've been using for a few years with my clients and for myself. I use it both for practicing my instrument, if I'm practicing piano or any other instruments I play, or for my workout routine. It's super simple to use and you can go download it for free at holisticpianoacademy.com. There's no catch. It's just something I've really found to be extremely beneficial in these very trying times to find some clarity and set priorities. So if there's something you'd like to avail, go to holisticpianoacademy.com. You have an ethereal voice. That was the random but blatantly sincere comment I found myself reading on an Instagram post during the promotion of my single Rainy Day sometime last year. Turns out it came from this wonderful, wonderful musician called Amira, who's our guest tonight. And uh, that comment turned into what went on to be a very sincere and meaningful online friendship, the results of which uh, we get to hear in this conversation tonight. I want to take a minute at this point to thank Amira for having the courage to come forward and speak so openly and so fearlessly about the manner in which her story has unfolded. I think it's the kind we all need to hear. And on that note, please welcome Amira. Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, actually. I mean, I, I'm a morning person, so I, I really love the morning. You know, it's so so beautiful, so quiet, hear the birds chirping. So I'm in a really good state. Have you always been a morning person? Yes, I've always been a morning person and an early sleeper. That's yeah. Um, I think it's just study from childhood. You know, my parents are always training me to rise early, go to school. And um, yeah, morning is kind of like my, my zen time. Excellent. Sounds like my kind of time. I remember <laughs> you telling me in your email that I should try and keep my questions as straightforward as possible. Yes. I tend to ramble a little at times. So in case I ramble too much, just say the word and I'll get my shit together. <laughs> no worries. Um, if I don't understand anything, I'll, I'll just ask you. Um, it's because I have Asperger's. Um, I'm autistic. So sometimes I... I, you know, literal and direct communication works best for me. I'm German, so literal and direct conversation works best for me too. Great. <laughs> okay, um, I want to dive right into your earliest phases uh, of music. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were uh, Malaysian by birth, even though you're based in LA? Yes, that's right. I was born in Malaysia and I grew up in Malaysia. That's amazing. Um you want to tell us about your earliest memories of music and life in Malaysia to start off with? Yes, absolutely. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up in a biracial household. So my earliest memory would be my father's Hindustani music playing in, in the house. And um, one of my most, I would say, memorable moments is when we went to India and I was about four years old and I heard the snake charmer playing on the street and I was just so mesmerized I was just like 
like stuck in time. I couldn't even get my eyes or my ears off the snake charmer. And I would keep begging my father, please ask him to play more. So my dad would just be giving coins until his pocket was empty. He said, I don't have any more coins to play. And I think that was my, the time that I was so smitten by world music and how powerful and mystical it has this kind of emotional palette that I just, I just, I was just so awestruck by it. So I would say that's my most memorable musical memory in my childhood. Mm -hmm. Of course, my mom playing her traditional Karunchong and Malay music, my father's Hindustani music, um, me learning classical piano as a child. So those were kind of like my, my foundation, I would say. Beautiful. Um, may I ask you how old you were as so when you were so smitten by the snake charmer? Oh, I think I was about four years old. And um, my mother enrolled me in piano lessons. I think I was about six because I was just banging on the piano. Just, you know, after a while, I guess there's only so much we can take as a parent. You're like, do you want to take piano lessons? You know, <laughs> um, I just love the pedal, the pedal of the piano and the echo of it. And I think that's one reason why I gravitate towards the gamelan so much. The gamelan is a traditional um, pitch percussion instrument or orchestra mm -hmm. originally from Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And uh, Malaysia kind of adopted it. So I think that's one reason why I really gravitate towards the gamelan. That's beautiful. Um, is that when you started formal lessons on the piano? How, how were your earliest acquaintances with formal music education for lack of a better term yeah i would say that i thrive um with formal education because of the structure mm -hmm. um, as i mentioned before i have asperger's so having structure really helps me a lot however unfortunately i had a very abusive piano teacher and i was studying under her for about 10 years so i would say that um, it had a lot of damage on my self-esteem and um, on my on my my growth to wanting to become a musician. Um, however, it did instill a lot of discipline in me. Um, I was doing classical piano, so there was a lot of um, examinations that I had to go through, a lot of uh, you know drills and things like that. So I would say that ingrained ingrained a lot of discipline in me. However, that experience of going through um, an abusive environment and teaching um, um, a, a teaching environment like that for something that I love so much um, actually gave me a lot of emotional experience, I would say. I mean, it's a very painful experience to love something so much and go through so much pain at the same time. And I would say that kind of translates into my music as well very beautifully said very beautifully said that's something i can intimately relate to by the way fyi um, i had an abusive piano teacher too in college really in, in very much so yes in college and i had to uh, i had a you know a student teacher relationship with him for four years and uh, the irony was we would get along quite well as people you know if we go uh, had a beer or something we'd be almost like friends but the minute we'd enter the classroom it was a nightmare and uh, wow, I, I guess he was carrying his own baggage. You know, that's how most of uh, abusive patterns come from. Uh, usually, from 
people who haven't worked on their baggage. So he had an abusive set of teachers and he just passed it on to me. That's very interesting. I know, right? Um, I, I think later when I when I grew up, I heard that my uh, abusive piano teacher had an abusive husband. There you go. There you go. Yeah. It's that lineage. So it's, it's a very uh, confusing feeling because on one hand, I know I owe him so much. Uh, you know, the bulk mm. of my piano technique uh, more than anything else. And a lot of the vocabulary I learned as a jazz pianist came from him. On the other hand, every time I sit at the piano, it's like he's still sometimes, I mean, it's a work in progress, but it still feels like he's standing right next to me, looking over my shoulder, waiting to find something that's not up to his approval. So he can sh start shouting at me. Right. Oh, have you seen the film uh, Weeplash? I've heard so much about it. I never got around. I think it's too close to home. <laughs> it, it is. It, it yeah. was very hard for me to watch it too. Yeah, I've been putting it off for all these years. Maybe it's time I face these demons of mine. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I can intimately relate to that experience. Uh, but tell us more. How old were you when you started your piano lessons? Um, I was about six years old. And how long did you study piano? Um, well, I was studying under her for about 10 years. And then I switched to another teacher, uh, finally. And it was actually my classmate's mother. Um, it was a, she's a very close friend of mine and I live very near to her house and, you know, she would always hear my stories of, you know, the struggle I was facing. And, um, although my parents knew about it, they didn't understand how serious it was. So that is why they kind of, um, made me study under, under her for so long. But finally, when I switched teachers, it was like my whole world opened up because yeah. she was just not only so proficient in what she is teaching, but she's just so encouraging. It was the first time that I'm listening and hearing that someone believed in my talent. And from there, um, it just um, planted the seed that, oh, you know, I, I, I guess I can do this. I do have something to give. Um, so it was an amazing experience also, you know, going to my friend's house. So she's my friend. So it was, mm. it was a very nurturing environment. Beautiful. And I think that's really important, you know, I am for, especially for children, you know, having that nurturing environment is so important to in, instill the love and discipline and working on something, you know, Amen. teaching through fear is not, it's, it's really old school, but that's not really healthy. No, no, I completely agree with you. Um, um, I love the words you're using here. You know, I guess music is such an intimate experience. It's a cellular experience, you know, you, you know, it really gets absorbed in your cells. So I, I feel like a lot of music teachers don't realize if you're teaching music through fear, you're actually instilling fear into your students' system, into their bodies. It's like they carry that fear for the rest of their lives almost sometimes. Unless they Absolutely. get guidance on how to deal with it. So uh, thank you for addressing that. Whereas uh, the same applies for love. You teach them with love, they'll be carrying that love for the rest of their life. You know, it's Exactly. Um, you uh, refer to Malaysia often. I've, uh, I follow you on your social media and um, I've never been to Malaysia. Not yet anyway. I hope to someday. And it comes across as a very diverse and rich culture. You want to tell us a little more about that? Yes, I feel so, so fortunate to have grown up in Malaysia. 
Um, Malaysia is a very multicultural country, very diverse. Um, so, you know, there are so many ethnicities. We have the we have Malays and Indians, Chinese, Iban, Kadazan. Um, and the interesting thing about Malaysia is that there's so much hybrid cultures. And that's kind of what I love so much about Malaysia. Beautiful. Growing up together, we have created hybrid cuisine, you know, like Baba Nyonya or Mamak. So it's like a combination of Indian and Malay cuisine mm. or Chinese and Malay cuisine, you know. And that is so unique uh, for Malaysia. And the people of Malaysia, you know, is kind of part of our culture to be very humble, to invite each other to each other's homes. There's so many celebrations because there's so many different cultures. Beautiful. And yeah, and it just exposes us um, exposes me f um, from a child to the uh, different beliefs of different different religions and different races. And I think that is so, so important because if growing up in a place that's too homogenous, by the time we grow up as adults, we might be stuck in our ways and it'd be harder to accept like different ways of thinking. And that comes so handy in today's world, you know, not to be looking down on other people just because they think or do things differently. I know, right? But to understand that, that yeah, but to understand that is is beautiful, you know, it's beautiful in their own way. So um, I would say that is something that I'm very, very fortunate and blessed, not only to grow up in a biracial household, but to grow up in a multicultural country. And that definitely has given me has been my muse i would say from my music from things that i create um fusing east and west in my instrumentation in my music even in my fashion and um even what i love because i just love fusing east and west in everything i do and that is definitely comes from my upbringing in malaysia amazing that sounds beautiful that sounds like the kind of headspace that's right up my alley i didn't grow up in a country as uh multicultural in the manner Malaysia is uh, but I grew up on four different countries uh, I spent the formative years of my life traveling between multiple countries so uh, I all wow. I, uh, yeah um, uh, so I identify very much to that that approach that specific lens on uh, looking upon cultures from a space where hybrid is the normal mm, I love that <laughs> yeah uh, for me, hybrid is normal, you know, it's like monocultural environments make me nervous. Yes, me too. Yeah. And I think it's also because it doesn't really reflect who we are, because we are hybrids, you are mixed parentage as well, and you have that global citizen mindset. Indeed. To clarify, my parents are not, I don't have mixed parentage. Oh. My mixed culture is more sociocultural than uh, physiological. Mm. My parents are both Bengali they, uh, they were Bangladeshi refugees who eventually moved to India after traveling in multiple countries. And I grew up while they were traveling and working in multiple countries, which is why I um, kind of uh, have that hybrid um, thing. But I identify more as European, so I identify as German of Indian ethnicity. Mm. I have a bit of a British background too, spent my formative years in London and so on. But point being, I'm completely from the same camp and it's very easy for me to relate to the words uh, you're saying. Because at the end of the day, the location isn't important, but just that attitude 
towards looking upon cultures as just different colors to fuse. That's what really um, resonates with me. I hope I'm not rambling too much now. Oh, no. Um, I It's just so, so lovely for me to connect with other people who have this similar understanding and similar mindset because, I mean, there's not too many. I think it's definitely increasing, especially in today's age. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe a lot of us are a bit more silent, but it's like becoming the normal. A lot of us have, are growing up in different countries from where we originally were born Indeed. in. And, and a lot of us are migrating for work, um, for relationship reasons, for travel, right? Um, so much of us, so many of us love to travel. Exactly. And I, I think that's what's so, so important and so beautiful. And having that global citizen mindset is so important because... That way we do not see other people as separate from us. We understand that this whole world is our country. This whole world is our our home, you know? I mean, if everybody is to start adopting that kind of mindset, I think we would solve so many problems or challenges or wars in, in today's, today's world. You know, you're no more separate from me. You are my brother. You're my sister. Just... You know, whether, whether we're by blood but, or not, it doesn't matter, you know? Amen, sister. Totally with you on that. Um, tell us more. I'm curious how that journey from classical piano student to songwriter happened. I mean, you're one of the most accomplished uh, singer-songwriters. On uh, I've had the chance to uh, interview on this podcast Although I say interview, but I don't really look upon this as an interview per se. I try and have conversations. Tell us a little more about your journey as a songwriter. When did that start uh, happening? When was that point? And why did that thing happen? Where? Uh, when was that point where you said, okay, I want to write a song now. I want to sing. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was around... I remember my age, I was around 11 years old because I was, you know, when you're a child, every time when you finish doing something, you write your age and the date and your name. <laughs> so I had this uh, manuscript book that I found um, in my piano table. I think it, it was definitely my mom's because mm-hmm. um, my mom was trying to study piano lessons when she was um, lecturing in the university, just, just part time for a while. It was her dream to study piano. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't get to do it too much. And I found that manuscript book and um, I was just so, I had all these melodies coming in my head all the time, but I didn't really know how to notate it like perfectly. So I came up with my own style of notation and I it's like I'm the only one who can read it and understand it in, in a way. And I would sign my name and my, my age, you know, at the bottom. So I started writing these classical piano pieces, just short piano pieces. And I would have like this, you know, um, elaborate orchestration going in my head, you know, but I just didn't know how to, wow. how to notate, notate it down. And the thing is, when I would show it to my piano teacher, she would just scoff at it. Like, this is waste of time. You know, you must do classical piano. You know, writing songs um, is, you know, whether it's instrumental or not, this is, this is beneath us or something like that, you know? So I never, I thought it was something normal that everyone did and it was not a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. It grew so strong in me that I would ask my mother, please bring me to uh, Yamaha. There was this Yamaha 
School of Music at Kalanajaya and it had a lot of songbooks and my mom would just okay let's go and I would see all these songbooks that that was not classical music and I would be buying them and playing them at home and it just like I discovered this new door of of you know songs that had lyrics and the emotions of the melody and the chords with the lyrics you know it started with Broadway and you know the you know other other songs like the Beatles and and things like that it started off with, with that and um I found that it transported me into this world where I felt more understood. So, yes. I mean, I love classical music and I love the emotion it brings, but I love songwriting where it comes this kind of stripped down, very stripped down emotional um, experience for me. And um, I was very lonely growing up as a child. Mm-hmm. So I would, kind of seek solace through the songbooks because I felt that, oh, someone else is experiencing this too. You know, someone else is, ex- is going through what I'm going through or this person is lonely too or this person is having a hard time or this person is happy. And playing through the songbooks kind of sparked my 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 love for songwriting. It's, it was a way to give myself back what I needed actually emotionally. Um, I didn't plan to be a songwriter, um, but that kind of slowly became clear to me um, when I was working in theater and, you know, I had one of my music teachers that I would take lessons and he would be like, can't you see what you want to do is music. You're just turning your life upside down just to do music on the side and you are just driving your life upside down just to do music. And I was just so so um, shocked because it was so obvious but i i was the last to know i guess um and and you know that's when i decided you know what this is this is this is true um i really want to do music i think it took me so long because the abuse that i experienced with my first piano teacher really had a toll on me and i had to really face that i had to really confront that and understand and, and forgive her and um, take what I gain from that experience and channel it through through songwriting. I think that's one of the beautiful therapeutic ways of songwriting. You can channel anything that you're going through that is painful and turn it to something beautiful. You you take the words right out of my mouth. It sounds like you really found a very uh, well. You found your medicine to heal. Yes, yes, I did. And it's like the best way to forgive someone, just to, especially someone like your teacher or abusive teacher, just kind of take the best of uh, the experiences their lessons gave you and turn it into something beautiful. That's like the ultimate redemption, isn't it? Yes. And also, as I, you know, go through my own spiritual journey, I, I understand that everybody entered my life for a reason. They were there to teach me something and everybody is doing the best they can within within the framework that they have. Okay. As you even pointed out, you know, a lot of abuses were abused and looking at it from that lens, it's like I have that feeling of compassion for them. You know, they, they are in pain. Right. That's how you break the cycle. Yeah. When you heal your, uh, you know, you heal the ones who have been in your life. Yeah, it's so important. 
Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, they're going to repeat the cycle. Totally, totally. Beautiful. Um, do you um, remember the first songs you grew up on? I, I remember you referring to Beatles a couple of minutes back. Did you have any favorites? Um, I would say my mom was playing a lot of Chicago um, in the car. All right. Um, yeah, um, my mom was a big Chicago fan nice. and she would play Elvis Presley. Um, the songbooks, yes, there was, you know, the Beatles and a lot of Broadway. Um, I had a lot of favorites. I'm just really, really bad at remembering titles, titles and names. Same here. I just don't know why. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks for making me less less weird in that sense. No, not weird at um, all. I'm terrible with titles. I, I, I forget people's names. It's bad. It's it's. Uh, oh, so me too. Yeah. Okay. I feel yeah. better, better about myself too now. Um, it's it's crazy. Like usually I remember people's energy, but it, uh, but be clueless about what the name is sometimes. Yeah. Um, I I'm trying to practice to remember people's names because I'm I'm just trying to like you know, ingrained inside myself. And I'm also kind of face blind. So I don't remember people's faces very well. It's, it's quite common in the autistic spectrum too, to be face blind. Oh. So I do have to train myself after some time like that. Oh, okay. This is, this is how this person looks like. However, I'm pretty quick in picking up people's voices. So, you know, back in the day when there were um, home line phones when I was a when I was a child when people would call my home I would be like, picking up the phone and I'm like oh yeah hi auntie or oh, hi you know hi uncle like I know who, who they are when they just say hello so that was fine I guess so um, w- you reckon this would be a good time to start talking about your journey with autism and Asperger's sure um, wh- where, where do you suggest is the best way to start like, when did you realize that you might have Asperger's yeah, um, I would say growing up as a child, I was I felt very, very different, but I just couldn't understand why I had so much trouble fitting in. Mm-hmm. Um, I would see my friends or people around me able able to navigate social situations or make friends or know what to say. And I would always be looking at them and kind of like trying to mimic what's going on. Um, I didn't know how to articulate this, but I was always kind of feeling so odd. And why is it that people feel comfortable? How do they know what to do, what to say or how to handle situations? There's so many challenging social situations going through from school and to adulthood. Um, I was lucky to have a few close friends, but other than that, I was always struggling um, socially, I was always struggling mm. with my sensitivity with environments. Like, for example, family gatherings, I would just run run the other way as fast as I could. And now I understood. I understand why. It's because of the anxiety of the amount of people, but also my sensitivity to sound and noise. Mm. Um, you know, autism is not was not very um, un- well understood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, back then is 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 getting more widely understood today. Mm-hmm. So, I am not many people um, could detect that, and and also I'm I'm female, and um, a lot of research has have been put into detecting autism in men or and boys, but not so much in girls. Mm-hmm. So when I grew up as an adult, 
how I found out that I had Asperger's was um, I someone told me about their nephew having Asperger's and saying that, oh, he's not going to amount to much. He's not going to be successful because he had Asperger's. Wow. And I didn't, yeah, I, I was so shocked when I heard that. And I didn't know what Asperger's meant, but I was just so upset because I was, I'm a big, I'm really big into personal development. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of my time improving myself and that's kind of like my special interest. Mm -hmm. So when I heard that, I was like, I'm going to prove him wrong. So I went online, I started researching successful people who have Asperger's. Right. So when I was reading about these people, I was like, kind of like, um, so shocked because I was reading like my life. The, the characteristics that they had, the, the things they went through or their routines and their, their, their way of life. And I started reading deeper and deeper about it. And I, I spent six hours just, I couldn't stop. And that's another trait that's kind of common is that hyper-focusing. Mm -hmm. And I, I was so like surprised in the, in the sense that it made sense to understand now I know if this is if this is true I was not diagnosed yet it made sense why I was struggling so much and all the things that I was going through it wasn't because I was a bad person it was because I had autism so I didn't want to jump the gun I said okay I'm going to get diagnosed professionally and I did and to be honest like within the first 10 minutes I already knew because the questions that, you know, the doctor was asking me and the paperwork that I had to go through, it was things that nobody would ask me. Nobody can know what's in my mind. The things that mm. I go through every single day, you know, being so sensitive to what I see around me, what I hear, um, the scripts that I have to prepare in my mind before I meet people, you know, there was just so many details that, the doctor was asking me that I knew that, oh my gosh, I, I really do have autism. And in the beginning, when I, when I got the results and I, I, I did, I was diagnosed, I was so relieved um, I at first. I was, yeah, so relieved. It's just like, it's like you finally found out the reason of why you are a certain way. Yeah. So I felt really relieved and I started telling my close friends and my family. Um, and I lost friends too, because some people would not accept um, or did not, did, did not want to, you know, be with someone who was autistic. So it, it was also good because that way that I knew who accepted me for who I was, who I am. Yeah, they're not and, friends. Um, people are that they, I wouldn't call right. them friends. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the thing is that I did not change. I'm the same person, <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, Right. And it was difficult for my family. I would say it took them a couple of months. Um, but, you know, they love me nevertheless and they accept me. Mm -hmm. um, but after that moment, I remember crying really, really bad. I was just on the floor. I just broke down and I cried so badly because it just hit me that all this while, I thought that maybe one day I would be understood. And I just realized that, oh my gosh, I would probably never be understood um, at, at that state of mind that I was in. And um, Thank so you I, for sharing I, that. 
Yeah, um, and I think this kind of feeling of loneliness is something that a lot of us go through and we may not talk about. Um, and I, I was asking myself, like, how can I get out of this loneliness of feeling misunderstood? I, th I think that's like a, a long journey of my life, being misunderstood. And I was telling myself, I have to find other people who have Asperger's, who are autistic, so that I can see if, okay, maybe I can be understood by them. Mm -hmm. So that started my journey. I just put it out into the universe. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to find people who have Asperger's or who are autistic, but I hope they come into my life. And surprisingly, three, about three to four um, people that I met turned out to have Asperger's. And actually, they did not even know that they had it. It was just because I was being myself and we gelled. And me from being from disclosing my my you know my traits and my challenges of having Asperger's with them, they found out that they had the same challenges and traits. And then when they looked into it, they found out that oh, they they have Asperger's too, or you know they're autistic. So that was my first step, wow. and I felt I, I just felt so like wow, so I can be understood, you know. And it was like such an amazing feeling. I was like, I was thinking to myself, oh, this, this is how other people feel when they meet their friends, you know? So it was nice. And then I started to join, I, I found out about Meetup. So I started to look for other autistic groups and I joined a couple. Um, and then I decided to start my own. And wow. um, what, 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 yeah. so was this in Kuala Lumpur or Los Angeles? Um, it was, it's in Los Angeles, but we only had one in-person meetup because after that COVID happened. So it's been on Zoom uh, right. since then. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I put a stop on it this year just because I'm busy recording, but I would, I would, re I'll be restarting it in the future. So it's called, um, Asperger's group on meetup. And I have an Asperger's musicians group as well. Cause I wanted to meet other musicians who had Asperger's. Um, who have Asperger's and it was I was so nervous because I'm not someone who I would say um, is very good at socializing or is good at verbally explaining um, too much other than maybe the things I do and things that I love and music mm -hmm. so, so I was really nervous um, but it went well I felt really at home because everybody was also kind of awkward just like you know we, we, we were all just being ourselves yeah and um yeah, and it was it was just so nice, and um, and all of us sharing our our, our tips to each other, you know, mm -hmm. because someone might have extra tips on sound sensitivity that can help me, and I may have some tips about going through abuse or being bullied in school that mm -hmm. I could help someone else. Because a lot of us have been bullied and abused. That is quite common, unfortunately, and it's really important for us to talk about it with each other so that we all feel, oh, wait, we are the only ones who went through it and to help um, help each other get through it and share tips, you know, because we kind of learn socializing very structured, you know, in a very structured way, like telling each other, this means that these are red flags. Um, this is not healthy. This is healthy. Like having that kind of formal dialogue is actually very helpful for us because we don't really pick this up naturally like other people do. I'm amazed though. Um, are you aware that you are an extremely articulate person? 
I would say I work on it a lot and I have my moments when I I don't articulate well. I have alexithymia too. When it comes to emotions, I have a very delayed response. Mm -hmm. But talking about things that I love and about music and my personal experience, talking about, I'm I'm very transparent uh, Mm -hmm. about my emotions. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that, I think that helps me to articulate myself better. Why do you think this taboo around something like autism exists? I mean, autistic people, one would almost argue it's like a positive thing to have at the risk of saying something idiotic because you're hyper-focused, you have clarity of thought, you're sincere, you don't beat around the bush, you're uh, focused on what you really want to do, you're passionate. So why do you think this, why is it even looked upon as a problem? You know, part of me thinks this is the solution. Yeah, you know, I thank you for saying that. Um, that is something that I try to bring up in my Asperger's group very often because we have been brainwashed in so much stereotype negativity about autism, how the media has pro- portrayed autism, how people and society have looked down on mental health and looked down on autism and autistic people. I think it's so important for more autistic people to speak up Mm -hmm. and share. Well, a lot of us are hiding in the closet. You know, we are so afraid to come out and tell people that we're autistic. Just so worried to be judged and to be shamed or to lose our jobs, to lose our friendships, our families, you know. Um, unfortunately, there are many stories of that. And I, I I think the reason is because people are so afraid of some, some anything that's different. You know, they're so afraid of mental health to be looked shameful. You know, they feel it's so shameful. And that is something that I refuse to put on myself. Like, I'm not ashamed of myself. I love myself. And I feel like this autistic gifts that I have is what actually helped me to do what I do and when we look at other people who are artistic and successful in their careers their autistic characteristics really help them thrive I mean Elon Musk you know he he has Asperger's he has publicly shared it in the world and I'm not saying we're perfect we all have weaknesses we all have our you know strengths and but everybody else does too everybody has their weaknesses autistic or not Exactly. You know, it's just like both of us working, working together. Yeah, both of us working together, like, and helping each other and what we're good at and what we're not good at. Yeah. So thank you so much for saying that. That's really, really important for other autistic people to hear. No, thank you. I mean, uh, honestly, I, I, this is one of the easiest conversations for me to have. You know, I struggle. I, I did a couple of tests, even though online, to test for uh, autism there have been moments where I have asked myself, you know, I feel a lot more comfortable in environments where people are, mm, well, just direct and, um, um, well, what's what's the right word? Uh, again, um, uh, well, yeah, well, literal, con- uh, con- literal phrasing and just, mm. just basic sincerity in the manner people can, you know, where, where there's no guesswork involved. I guess that's what I'm pointing at. Environments devoid of guesswork have been uh, environments I've always felt comfortable in. Uh, it turns out I'm not autistic, but but I am uh, HSP. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, mm. highly sensitive person. Yes, yeah. very much. I'm yes. HSP as well. Yes, I, I gathered as much. Uh, 
but um, yes, I do understand innuendo and my humor can be very, uh, you know, underhanded and so on. So it turns out I'm not autistic. But um, I've always wondered um, um, how, how do you think your specific approach to situations generally or I'm doing a crap job of asking this question. My apologies. Oh no, I think I, I think I get you, but um, yeah, please, please go ahead. So you, feel free to elaborate more. Um, I guess what I'm referring to is work ethic and it's uh, your work ethic towards music. How do you think Asperger's has had an influence on that? That is a really good question. I would say one of, so I, I think there's several. One is the discipline so, for example, when I was studying piano, um, we tend to hyper-focus a lot. And, yes. of course, there are downsides where we forget to eat and go to the bathroom or forget that it's day or night. But we don't. We are very relentless. Um, a lot of us are very relentless. We, um, so, I was just basically just knocking away. Um, if I have a piece that I had to prepare, I'll be just knocking away until I feel satisfied and it doesn't matter how long it takes. And is that kind of, um, I would say the opposite of boredom. It's like going through boredom and mm -hmm. still doing it anyway. Yeah. I mean, some people might feel like it's like knocking on a wall, you know, it's like, why are you doing this? But I just can't, I just can't stop until I feel like I got, I got somewhere. So I think that is something that helps me a lot in music not only in music per se, but the musical aspects of my career, because there's so many challenges as a, as an independent singer-songwriter that I have to handle and face. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because when I when I work with other people, some people might just give up pretty easily if they are faced with a problem. Mm. But I'm very, very... Um, I think it's quite natural for us autistic people to use like first principle thinking, where it's all about like, what is the cause of the problem? Why do I have to do? What is the action step? And, and just do it, you know? And then if it, if it doesn't work, how can I, how can I tweak my action to make it work? It's like, we just keep on tweaking and tweaking and just keep on doing it. Sometimes I don't know how to give up. I, I would say that is my um, weakness but other than that, that's kind of a good framework to not put any emotions into it. It's like I, I don't let my emotions get into my, my thinking. You know, it's kind of just a framework that needs to be done to solve something. And also coming, understanding what is the real cause of the problem. Because a lot of um, situations, people might think about the the problem or the causes on the surface level, but that's not really the root cause, you know? Mm. So I would say that that helps me a lot. It came very natural to me as a child. The other thing that I would say helps me is, um, well, my need of structure. So I am very much someone who plans ahead. Um, I'm very organized. Um, you know, I live by my calendar and all that. And the reason is because I have... Um, quite poor executive functioning skills. That's kind of what they say. But I see this as a gift because it forces me to keep myself extremely organized because I don't want to forget something. I don't want to feel overwhelmed. I get very easily overwhelmed if if there is too much that is not structured, you know, not well planned. Mm. 
So I feel like that helps me as an independent singer-songwriter, especially when we are basically working solo most of the time. Indeed. Um, so that helps. Yeah, so that helps a lot. The other thing that I would say um, helps me, and I would say it's kind of my autistic trait too, is I have alexithymias and... Um, it means that I may not understand how I emotionally feel at that moment right away, mm. but it gives me this processing time and some kind of depth. Like I, I have very, very intense emotions and that is quite a trait of you know, being autistic. We, are, we feel things very intensely. There is this myth that you know we don't under understand empathy and all that but that's not true it's just that we may not react or respond towards being empathetic as how other people would and it might seem cold but we feel inside very very deeply so that definitely translates into my music um i feel sadness or pain or loneliness or happiness joy very very intensely but i don't feel much in the gray areas in between so wow. that's definitely something that mirrors through my songwriting yeah i gotta be honest amira i listened to you at this you could be describing me so part of me like is like maybe i should get that go get that test done again once more I and mean, i told you the test i did for autism was online Mm -hmm. Maybe I should go see a specialist sometimes. That you just described me. Wow. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm I'm a little hung up on that now. Um, I, I especially intimately relate to you know the manner in which you said uh, the expression of the intensity of the emotion you're feeling is not apparent to those around you. That's me. The only time people are aware of what's going through in my mind is when I lose my temper, which happens mm -hmm. often because I feel like people are constantly encroaching my boundaries. So by the time, the, I feel like the only way I can communicate with people at times, at times, not always, is when I'm angry. It's like that's the only emotion sometimes that gets taken seriously. Um, yeah, and that is actually very common. Yeah. Um, around you know, among autistic people that's why we tend to have like meltdowns is because it's been we have been pushed to our extreme and we don't know how else to react but through you know crying crying uncontrollably or yelling or screaming or being so angry and upset and it's not because we are bad people it's because we have been pushed by society to this edge that we can't take it anymore Mm, that makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah, and sense. I think that is one reason why there's so much shame as well. Like people only see that part of autism. Yeah. But the thing is, if we were able to be ourselves and be healthy autistic people and live the way that is best for us without forcing us to over-socialize, forcing us to be in a loud, noisy environment, force us to not stick to a routine that works for us things like that or focus on something when we need to focus on something we don't have those episodes you know do you think autistic folks are a scapegoat for society's intolerance ah yeah i mean um, very possibly um the interesting thing is that so many people who have opinion about autistic people are not autistic so I would say that is quite a clear, a clear um, 
sign of that because it should be autistic people talking about autistic people because we understand what we are going through but to have someone else tell, tell us who we are and what we are um that that seems like a way of putting us into a box and and why you know it's like what's 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 your motive of doing that it, it seems that you have some kind of prejudice somehow and that causes a lot of shame definitely in society i think it's very important of course to have research and study and all that um by autistic people or not autistic people that's that's amazing we need more we need more of that but it has to have the participation of autistic people mm-hmm. so for example i'm actually part of um an autistic research that's going on right now um by university here in california awesome. and what they are doing yeah and i i feel very very grateful to be to be invited so what they are doing is they're actually involving you know autistic people and asking them questions rather than just guessing in themselves you know they're actually um going through us they're talking to us trying to understand us so i think that is the way uh, the way forward for sure Exactly. I mean, otherwise it's like, you know, a parallel example is like monocultural white people writing the narrative on what racism is. It's a very similar Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, about time they got around to it. So I'm very glad you're <clears throat> part of a project like that. Yeah, and when you do your diagnosis, you know, please let me know. I'm I'm curious to know as well. Yeah, I think it's something I I really should get around to doing sometime soon. Yeah, I'm going to pick your brain on this later on maybe offline. Yeah, sure. So, tell me this, um how did LA happen? Was it the John mm. Lennon award? Was it the, was that the catalyst or um how did that come about? Yeah, well, I mean um yeah, I was really thrilled to 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 be the finalist in the John Lennon um songwriting contest. Yeah. Um so LA happened because I was actually um coming to LA for the ASCAP conference from yeah. Malaysia. I would fly for the conference. And um I I came for like maybe a couple of years and then I met somebody who introduced me to a producer because I was looking for a producer to work on my music and I've been looking for a producer for some time it's just that finding the right producer that understands how to fuse this east and west in a in a very authentic genuine way and I love film music so it has this very epical feel mm-hmm. you know I wanted to find a producer who understood that concept not not a producer that was just going to try to change who i am yes. um and i was introduced to jeff bova and um he just totally just understood me really really well i mean he spent a couple of days you know going through my song references my music my demos my concepts and the the lovely thing about him is that he's so humble and he has that experience of doing film music and he he also played with Richie Sakamoto so he has got this experience with you know eastern elements as well mm-hmm. and um of course he's trained in the western music world and he genuinely uh he genuinely was wanting to do this concept it was not like being forced you know it's like you have to find people who genuinely want to embark in this sound because Indeed. it's not it's not something that is just you know 
you know, like 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 something that you find on the radio all the time, for example. Mm. So that was the reason why I moved to LA so that I could record my record my album with him. Uh, unfortunately, COVID happened last year. So there was a lot of delays because a lot of studios were closed. You know, we couldn't rent mics and things like that. And I also had some personal health issues. Um, however, you know, we found ways to work around at the end of the year last year, which is why I, w- I was able to release two singles. Mm-hmm. And um, it was quite a journey because there was just so many challenges. And I was so lucky that I actually was introduced to a neighbor of mine who... It's a film composer and had a studio at home. So that was the reason why I was able to record my my vocals and you know work with my producer nice. and him. We had we had a remote setup because that time the vaccine was not out yet. Right. But and and of course working remotely is not ideal, but it was something that we could you know do it for that time being. And um yeah, it was it was a I was very was a quite an experience really that's an interesting point to um, refer to as well i'd like to um with your permission how has remote working been for you what have been the advantages and disadvantages as someone with asperger's yeah i would say that there is a lot of advantages mm-hmm. um when i was doing my asperger's group many of us were saying how we were really loving this new way <laughs> um of working and we a lot of us loved the lockdown too yeah, yeah. because suddenly we feel we could go out a lot of us are like you know feeling so anxious when we go out all the time there's so many people there's so much noise but um not all of us because we have some who are kind of extroverted as well who who miss being with people mm-hmm. so yeah remote work um there's a lot of advantages and i would say the disadvantages is quite small that mm-hmm. i can easily do a workaround that so for example a lot of meetings that would have to take place in a coffee shop that i have to travel through traffic and scope places like i actually scope out the -hmm. places for my meetings because i have to make sure that the environment is suitable for me and if not propose a different location or do preparations that i need to do for example have my earplugs in and things like that so it's not it's not easy especially in the city if it was in the countryside it would be no problem at all so that is the advantage of being able to just do meetings online a lot more people are open to doing it through email as well so i don't really have to you know get on a video call all the time because it is draining too um because the, the video call is through um, a device, an electronical device. So there are, there is light, you know, there's light, there's sound. You know, right. when you listen to sound that is in person, like a live performance compared to sound through a, a headphone or something, there is this digital processing that's going on. And when you're, me as an autistic person, I am very sensitive to that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm really sensitive to that. I'd have thought the the power to control the volume going to your head, for example, or the microphone would uh, act to your advantage. What's the part of it which jars on your senses? Yeah, um, you pointed a good point. The ability to control the volume helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yes. For example, I've been to a concert where we were using headphones 
to to watch the live concert. So he was playing on the piano, but it was a silent piano, mm-hmm. and I could control the volume of the ambient sound and of how he's playing. So that definitely helps. I would say what drains is I I don't even know the word for it, but it's like seeing someone in person. When I have a meeting with someone in person, I don't face this the draining of an electrical device. While if I meet someone on video, going through that computer, um, whether it's the lighting, but it's also somehow I can feel electronical devices around me. Gotcha. Um, that is that 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 energy is is what drains me, and I really don't know how to explain it. Actually, I no, wish no, I could. I, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, of course. I mean, th- th- that's also a scientific fact. Electronical devices do take a toll on the human body. I mean, these are things with yes. lots of lots of stuff going on inside. So I completely can relate. Exactly. I think they call it EMF. Okay. Electromagnetical frequencies or something. Thanks for that. Yeah. So I think, I think that is the reason. But again, to address what you were asking, um, so for meetings, it helps a lot. It's also kind of cool that my producer can hear my vocal takes live from my microphone. Wow, how's that? So, How do you make that work? Yeah, I think um, he was using an, a software called Audio something. When I find it out, I, when I find out, I can send it over to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, during COVID, you know, we had to find ways. Of course, it, it's great if he's there. Of course. Um, but because when he couldn't be there, um, he found out the softwares and he could listen to my vocal takes live as I was singing, um, as if he's straight from my microphone to his headphones and I could hear him talking from my headphones. <laughs> so awesome. um, that was, that was a pretty cool experience. It's a very intimate experience, both for him and myself, because then he could hear every single um, nuance in my voice. Beautiful. What are the other advantages? I would say, of course, the, the I would say like the planet earth kind of being taken care of for, for a while, mm. you know, so much traffic, so much pollution, you know, finally we could see some blue skies, you know? I know. Um, yeah, and wake up in the morning and hear the birds chirping um, and people spending more time um, on themselves because now they have to, you know, whether you know, whether it's in isolation or with their families. But, you know, I think, I think that's important for us to pause and, you know, spend some time reflecting on ourselves and focusing on what's important. I think we, we spend so much time, including myself, on everything that we have to do, you know, and we forget that, oh, I need to spend some time on myself too. Cause and at the end of the day, our journey here on earth is, is a very spiritual journey. And it takes time to get to know that spiritual part of ourselves. You know, it doesn't just happen when we're rushing about, you know. What was your earliest memory of that spiritual awareness? I would say my huge opening point was when I was, I felt very, very ill when I was in Malaysia. I I felt ill from adrenal insufficiency and it was because I was just working too much. Hmm. And at that moment, when my body is not able to move anymore, but my mind was still alive, you know, I was, my mind was still sharp in, in, in to a certain extent, but I couldn't move anymore. And it's, I started really reflecting on my life. Mm-hmm. I started really thinking through like, what, 
what matters, you know, what doesn't matter, or how would I, if if I get to what the day that I get to recover, what how would I do my life differently? And I spent a lot of time reading, and I started reading spiritual books um, because my my mom actually introduced me to Louis Hay, and I started reading that. Beautiful. Yeah, and from there I started reading more and more books that was kind of um, linked to you know Louis Hay. Uh, I would say Louis here was my starting point. Um, Heal your life, such an amazing book, and that started my spiritual journey. I've always been a kind of a spiritual person, even starting setting up when I was a child. Actually, I would spend a lot of time asking a lot of questions. I that's another trait a lot of autistic people have. We question everything. Yes, we don't really believe what anybody tells us just because it's a social construct. So it has to make sense to us and. You know, when you ask a lot of questions about life as a child, um, you know, I spend a lot of time also trying to figure out the answers. Sounds like the sensible thing to do. Yeah, I think it's really <laughs> important for all of us to always ask a lot of questions because, you know, religion and social construct, there's a lot of things that are there that may not serve as well. Mm-hmm. So it's really important for us to like question everything and take what is good and leave what is not good for us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But circling back though to your spiritual uh, life, that breaks another myth about autistic people, right? Because autistic people are often, uh, you know, thought of by by people who don't know better uh, as robotic and uh, people who only think in rational terms. So you breaking another myth there. Yes. Um, so that is another example of what people see outside doesn't mean is what is going on inside. Exactly. A lot of us may sound robotic or monotone because that is how it's like a characteristic of how we, we talk or how we communicate. Not mm-hmm. all of us, but it's quite a common trait, it's just like not doing much eye contact. We find eye contact very uncomfortable. Mm. So... But that does not mean that we are dishonest. You know, people think that, oh, if you don't do eye contact, that means you're hiding something or you're being dishonest. No, that's not true. We are actually very, very honest, extremely, maybe too honest, you know. And um, just because we are robotic or monotone when we speak, it doesn't mean that we don't feel a lot inside. So it breaks a lot of stereotypes that society tends to put which Indeed. is might be applicable to non-autistic people, but not autistic people. Indeed. Indeed. Um, circling back to your career a little, um, I'm, I'm trying to summarize your journey so far. You're here, here's a girl who's born in Malaysia to a biracial family, starts taking piano lessons, unfortunately from an abusive teacher with her own baggage, at some point, channels that pain into writing her own song. Meanwhile, also growing a spiritual life uh, while she's at it. And then at some point, she starts working professionally as a songwriter, meets her producer in Los Angeles, and then eventually moves to Los Angeles. Meanwhile, garnering a bunch of very prestigious songwriting awards. Have I summarized your life okay so far? Yeah, actually, that's, that's that's really good. Okay. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? What have I missed out on? Um, I would say 
one thing that encapsulates my music and myself as an artist would be my my calling for unity. Okay, let's talk about that. Tell us more. Yeah, um, I think growing up in Malaysia, as as much as how diverse and rich it is, it also shares a lot of racial tension mm-hmm. and racial and religious disagreements. And that um, brought a lot of questions to myself as a child. My parents are, you know, from different cultures. So I also experience the tension that they face with society being a biracial couple. Oh. So I, I, it was very painful at times, you know, to experience this as a child because I love my parents both very dearly. Um, however, you know, some people in society will look down on a certain race and think another race is better than another race, you know, and things like that. Or culturally, they, they despise a certain um, ritual, for example. But growing up as a child of both, I appreciated and I understood both. So I would say that experience and that love story that my parents had that was um, that left a really, really big impression on me is something that I feel very, 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 very um, driven to write about because, um, which is why a lot of my songs talk about interracial and inter-religious, intercultural love relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not only something that I see my parents going through, I see people around me going through it, whether it's my family members, my relatives, my friends. And I feel really, really sad when I find out that they are unable to be together because of the clash and the disagreements of coming from different cultures and different religions, which, you know, is just so, so, so sad because we are just the same. We are literally the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is this whole mission of, you know, inspiring unity through music is something that has carried me along the way. Uh, my first song, Katakanla, was actually composed about the desecrations of um, houses of worship in Malaysia. There was a clash between the Christians and the Muslims. So I would say that is a big part of why I do what I do. Beautiful. The families of your parents, did they get along? Um, it took a long time for them to get along. They they get along great now, but in the beginning it was very difficult. That's a Beautiful ending, though, to the story. Yeah, and and we need more and more people to speak up about the experiences of this and to share and help inspire others who are going through it. Because I I think this is not spoken up enough. And uh, it might be very, very shameful and difficult to speak about. But I think it's really important. And and interracial, interreligious relationships, to me, is extremely beautiful. I'm such an advocate for it. And because... Is basically unity. It's mm. like unity. Unity is love, right? I mean, once once there's love, all these boundaries and borders just break down, and that is the beauty of children coming from these in you know this um, mix interreligious, interracial marriages, because they grow up to love and understand, and appreciate different cultures. Mm. 
It's almost like your destiny has been to be the reflection of that kind of a unity, isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> and your music is only but a natural extension of the same, from the way I see it. Yes. How did LA feel for you in the beginning? Um, I actually feel very at home in different countries mm-hmm. um, most of the time, um, as long as it's very cultural. So I liked LA in the sense that I was surprised actually how multicultural it was. I was worried that it would be homogeneous, but it's very multicultural. It has it's it's very big, so it has a separation of. You know, you have little Tokyo and Koreatown and little India and and all that. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like it. Um, other than that, I just love the hikes here because there's so many hikes. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be in a city where you can access nature, you know, beaches and and national state parks. That That is really important to me, which was such a surprise because I had no clue. I thought LA would be like this concrete jungle. And it is, you know, when you go to downtown in certain places, which is why I kind of stay away from those areas. But yeah, I, I'm, I feel very fortunate to be here. How do you compare the manner in which people engage with you in LA to the manner in which people engaged with you in Kuala Lumpur? I feel a lot more at home, engaging with people here. Um, I think the reason is because I can really be myself. Mm-hmm. My, I have a very secular and liberal way of thinking. Um, I'm a feminist. I'm autistic. I'm mixed. You know, and all these things can be quite sensitive back in Malaysia. So over here, I feel very at home because I could just be myself. I could speak my mind. I could um, be my, my true self. Um, that being said, Malaysia has very, very deep, deep friendships. Like people in Malaysia, they they really are very loyal, you know, mm-hmm. to you. You know, they you you can find friendships that stay with you for years and decades to come. While you know, I'm not saying that you can't find that in LA, but I think it's harder because a lot of people might be more in their own world. They might be more focused in career or you know their own work and things like that so it might be a bit more challenging to find deeper friendships yeah um so there's a pro pro and con there and that's something that i noticed culturally i can relate to that yeah intimately yeah um, i love the freedom um the intellectual freedom europe gives me for example mm. you know the the inter- the uh yeah the intellectual socio-cultural freedom i get like the manner in which I can just say anything I want, or, well, most of the time anyway, and just, you know, the freedom of movement it gives me and the mobility. But I have noticed, uh, especially with age, after 22 years of living in Europe, the texture of human relationships, uh, the way they work in Asia, especially in India, is something I also really do miss. I mean, uh, FYI, I'm in India right now. Mm. I moved here in December temporarily to be closer to my parents. Um, I'm headed back to Europe in a couple of weeks. but uh, And it's been interesting. This is the first time I've been here for this long in 22 years. Mm. And uh, at this point, uh, it's driving me wild because people don't understand the concept of boundaries. Mm. <laughs> uh, and that's a lot for me to handle. But 
well, I know once I'm back in Europe, I'll be like, anyone around? Anyone want to encroach my boundaries? Please, just like, is anybody here? <laughs> <laughs> I'd kill for some of that contact, which I'm uh, overwhelmed with here. Yeah, I totally understand. I mean, that is something that is kind of part of Asian culture, you know? Indeed. Like, it, it, it does encroach in a lot of boundaries, for sure. I totally understand. And I have also, you know, an Indian family. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, they're just there for you. Indeed, yeah. You know, rain or shine, no matter what happens, they have your back, you know. they Once you're sick, you know, they're cooking you, you know, soup and, you know, helping you, you know, when you're crying or when you're going through a tough time. True. Although it may not, it may not be what you want, but they are there. And the friendships that you make, they just... You know, they, they want to pass food to each other. You know, you have all those very Asian, kind Asian values of loving your neighbors and that kind of very community way of living. Indeed. So, yeah, I totally get, get what you're saying. How do you find that energetic connection when you're in Los Angeles? How do you nurture that side of you? Um, I would say that I just pick well i wouldn't say I, I pick it's like i have a few very very few one or two close friends mm -hmm. that i don't meet very often actually but because that they share this transparency um the same transparency with me and both of them are also asp or autistic mm -hmm. so when we meet you know we bring things for each other or we go out of our way to do something for each other. And that's kind of how I fulfill that, that side of me that, um, that is not a very, that's not very part of maybe much of the normal, um, interaction here in LA. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I would say that that is the way that I do that. Of, and the other way is that I love, well, before the pandemic is going to cultural events I love attending different cultural events that I have no clue about and just experiencing it. And I can see the love and the, the sense of community that they have among each other. And just experiencing that makes me feel like, you know, I feel, I feel very happy. I feel joy, Beautiful. you know? Beautiful. And how do you deal with having your boundaries encroached upon when you're in Asia? Oh, it's so difficult. I have to have a lot of alone time. So it's actually really important for me to have like my own room or my own place to go. Yeah. And I have to be very uh, firm as much as possible, which is very difficult during Indian weddings because they have like <laughs> nine days of yeah. nonstop ceremonies, right? Uh, so yeah, I have to be yeah. very... Yeah, I, ha I have to have my hacks. So like I have to pick and choose like, okay, this is the most important ceremony. I got to be on that one. All these ones I'm going to kind of skip and I have to like leave the house and be somewhere quiet. Mm. And certain ones I would go and I would leave very quickly. So yeah. like, for example, I would go at the most important times and I'll kind of sneak out. Because otherwise I know I'm going to have a meltdown. It would be just too overwhelming, too much socializing, too much sounds and noise and chatter mm. uh, which you know all of them can go ahead and enjoy themselves but so having that quiet time a place that I can retreat to and being very clear like I have to tell my family like um, I can't tell all my family members I tell as many of them that I'm autistic and that I have Asperger's but it doesn't mean they really understand what that means 
But my very, very close family members, all the ones I'm living with, I would have to tell them I'm autistic. It doesn't mean that I don't care about you or I don't care about, oh, I'm selfish or anything like that. It's just that I have to take care of my uh, needs. Otherwise, I get, you know, oversensorized. And what does that mean? It's going to affect my, I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to start crying. I can't think straight. So I'm going to be attending this and then I'm going to spend some quiet time by myself. I also bring a, the Kindle around with me a lot. Mm-hmm. So that whenever I feel over um, overstimulated, I would go somewhere quiet and I would read the Kindle. Um, it kind of helps. I know it's weird, especially in gatherings and stuff, but it helps people understand that, okay, she, she wants some alone time. Although it's kind of strange to be reading a Kindle right now, but you know, it doesn't seem as bad as telling everyone to not talk to me or something. So I have to come up with all these hacks. I also wear an earplug. I wear custom earplugs. Me too. You you too? Yeah, when I'm in India all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really loud in India. Indeed. (laughs) Especially the traffic, going through traffic. Oh, yeah. I I, I try and avoid traffic as much as I can. I I drive and, you know, my car's soundproofed, you know, like most cars are with AC on. So... Yeah, and when I'm uh, in crowded spaces, I'll either use my earplugs with music on or use my customized earplugs just to keep noise out. Yeah, yeah. I use the, Bo- the Bose um, noise-canceling headphones quite often when I go to the city. I would have that and my custom earplugs. Yeah, well, I mean, those are lifesavers. So that's the social aspect to dealing with boundaries and encroachment. When, I'm, I'm guessing it's been a while since you worked in Asia, but how do you deal with professional situations where you feel like your boundaries may not be respected in the manner most optimal to your productivity? Mm, I would say that is very challenging because I am working in a way that is probably not the norm. Mm. Um, a lot of in Asia is all about WhatsApp, it's all about messaging nonstop back to back and having lots of late night late night hangouts and late night you know going and eating and hanging out late at night and that's not something that I I'm able to do maybe once a while so I have to tell them that you know I the best way for me to communicate is through email you know I have streamlined my communications otherwise I get very overwhelmed and I'm okay meeting but meeting in a quieter places and I don't do the late nights you know I prefer a, a more I would say business hour type of meeting um out meeting you know our our times mm-hmm. um Unfortunately, for live shows and all that, most of them are really, really late at night. It might have changed now after the pandemic, but back then, most of the shows are late at night. And after that, you know, most of them like to hang out after that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I have to like um, explain to them that, you know, for my health and for myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer too. I got to take care of my health and it's not, and I have to show my gratitude to them prior and I will explain that, you know, I, I'm going to have to leave. Unfortunately, I have to get my rest. And, um, you know, can we meet at this place instead? Because um, it's going to be a lot quieter. And therefore, I can, I want to understand. I want to hear what you're saying. You know, I want us to have, you know, a good productive time communicating. Mm-hmm. So, and I have to, I have to find, I scope and I find good places that is kind of like my go-to's. So if somebody says, okay, do you propose a place? And I would say, yeah, how about this place? 
So I have a couple of go-tos that I would recommend to meet. Um, it is difficult because a lot of people prefer to WhatsApp and text and all that. And I, I would have to explain that, hey, email is going to be really the best way to work for me because other than streamlining my communications, it also helps a lot when it comes to sending files back and forth. I mean, we can actually send larger files, you know, lyric sheets, you know, docs, um, and, and keep a thread of communication of what's, what's going on. So it's just a lot more easier to, um, those are the things that I could think of. Sounds like a solid plan. Well, that's very helpful stuff. I think autistic or not, yeah. all of those suggestions are things people should listen up to. I mean, I hate WhatsApping. I hate texting. It's like, Oh my gosh, thank you. It's like, Finally. It's like pe people, people are on the worst behavior when they start texting. Oh my gosh. You just, you just <laughs> reminded me of, of that. That's one reason why I, I, told you know people that you know i do not want to do texting because they become so irresponsible for example like we have a meeting planned and they would like text me one or, one or two minutes before then say that they're going to be late or can we change the location i'm supposed to see that you know i'm already there like you know i've been waiting for 15 minutes already I know, so right? yes you are absolutely right. People are just not very responsible because they expect you to be checking your phone every second. That's not productive for work or for our personal self-care. You know, how are we going to ever be producing or if we're going to be checking our phones every second? Exactly. I'm completely with you. If it's any consolation, I mean, a lot of my mentors now, I have a couple of business uh, mentors and uh, a music mentor too. And especially since the COVID thing, you know, mental health and it's, relevance has been elevated to an entirely new level both of my business mentors will say get communication down to email as soon as possible do not text with clients try you know do not text with anyone except your very loved uh, loved ones and very intimate um, friends or uh, you know yeah well if it's not someone you're intimate with just don't text with them don't give people access to that that kind of vulnerability, really, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, uh, it, it takes people, texting is so easy to abuse, you know, you have instant access to communicating with someone and not a lot of people are equipped to really handle a tool that powerful. Oh, I'm just so, so happy to hear you say that. And that's really? such a mind-opening mind for, to hear from you that's one of your mentors saying that I feel so much more better yeah yeah it's been a lot helpful to, uh, to me too because uh, in the it was tough for me to implement in the beginning because you know how do you a couple of my friends um, they actually just just deleted whatsapp off their phones because it was taking such a toll on their mental health yes I didn't want to do something that drastic so I've been just kind of weaning off it slowly to the point where it's very apparent that you know, email is, is the most reliable way to get in touch with me and keep in touch with me. So the, the, the other side to it is I always try and respond in 24 hours to my emails and I let them know. With my clients, I let them know I guarantee you a response in 48 hours. It's on the contract. So that gives them a different sense of reliability and it just kind of slows the entire pace of the communication down to one where everything's a little more relaxed if that makes any sense it makes perfect sense and also with email you can schedule time and you can schedule when the emails go out you can't really do that with text exactly and now with calendly and appointly you can just sync it with your calendar and life makes so much more sense when it's all there 
Exactly. You want to spend, I mean, we want to spend our energy and our time doing the most productive and most important things and then have enough rejuvenation time. Exactly. I think society has just has just put on a pedestal that we're supposed to just be robots working and churning things out every second and we're supposed to be in a good state of mind because we are humans. We have to have rejuvenation time so that we can work at our best peak performance. And if we look at people who are really successful in their craft, they have a lot of rejuvenation time that is so important and integral in order for them to be performing at world class. And I like, I like the example that some people say, you have to charge your phone at night. So, you know, what more human being, we have to charge ourselves too. That is so well said. Amen to that again, sister. <laughs> that sounds like a very nice note to taper off. You're coming to the last few minutes. I want to respect your time as well. So, Amira, what's the best way to support you and your work? Oh, I would say that the best way to support my work is, well, other than, you know, listening to my music and, you know, participating with me in the unity revolution, that's what I call it, awesome. on my social media, I think... One of the best ways is sharing the music out and maybe having dialogues with other people about unity. I think inspiring unity through our actions and decisions every day, like asking ourselves, is this a way that is going to foster unity or disunity? Because that's the whole reason of my music and what I and doing what I do. And um, everyone is free to follow me. Uh, my website is Amira360. A-M-I-R-A-H 360. And my social media handles are all Amira 360. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn as well if you want to um, connect with me there. Uh, I have a newsletter, so feel free to sign up. You know, I would love to meet other Unity advocates. I have a Facebook Unity group, you know, where we talk about Unity and inspire Unity, um, you know, with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have an Amira supporter family, um, which you can join. And when you join the Amira supporter family on Facebook, Coffee, or Patreon, you'll be able to experience everything that I do behind the scenes as I'm recording my album, what I do in the studio, and ask me a lot of questions and hangouts, and be able to see, you know, my music, my lyrics, and things like that. So. Yeah, wow. that's how you can connect with me. Wow. I mean, FYI, to start off it for my audience who are listening, um, eventually all these links will be on the episode notes. But Amira, when do you find time to nurture all of these channels? That is mind-boggling. Yeah, I have to schedule things. And to be honest, I'm not as active as I would love to because I'm busy recording. Mm-hmm. So I do use a scheduler, um, Planoly. Um, I used to use Agora Pulse, but it's just having, I'm having to schedule things and bulk things right. as much as I can. That makes sense. That makes so much sense though. What was the software you said you referred to? Uh, Planoly and Agora Pulse. Agora Pulse. I'm going to look those up. What are your words of advice for young musicians who might be autistic or dealing with Asperger's and uh, young songwriters generally? Mm. I would say the most important thing, in in my opinion, is to find your own your own voice. When I say your own voice, it means like what is your signature stamp? 
And it depends nice. on what kind of work you're doing. Like I do a lot of um, songwriting work for other artists and I love embodying that personality. But still, there is, a, there's a, there is a strength that I can bring that comes from me as Amira. And I think as soon as you can find that um, and nurture that, that becomes kind of like your go-to arsenal, you know, something that you can bring to the plate, knowing that, okay, you know, as a songwriter, my strength is lyrics. Or as a songwriter, my strength is coming up with strong choruses. Or as a songwriter, my strength is knowing how to emotionally translate the vulnerability of a very, very slow ballad. So knowing that and nurturing that and going for projects that help bring your skills to the best light, I think would be something that is very beneficial. Wow, that is one of the most articulate and detailed answers I've had to that question. <laughs> Thanks. People, you ought to be taking notes to that answer. One last question. Before we say goodbye for now, um, as you probably know, the, the name of this podcast is Tapasya Loading. And Tapasya, I don't know if, you, uh, if you've heard of this word, but it's an old Sanskrit word, which refers to the act of burning fuel away in a sacred fire. So if you would want to burn something away in a sacred fire, what would it be? What I would love to burn is my fear of being myself and being misunderstood. And just, just be myself completely without any fear of anyone misjudging me. I think that is something I would love to burn in the sacred fire. Could have been my words again. It's funny, I've never actually answered my own question. You made me realize mine would probably be very close to yours. Yeah, that's so interesting, right? I think that is one gift that we can give each other is by being as transparent, as honest as possible, because it actually helps not only ourselves, but helps others. Indeed. I completely agree with you. It's been an absolute pleasure and absolute honor, Amira. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you so much for talking to me, TL. I had so much fun and I just really enjoyed connecting with you. And thank you for being so honest and so genuine it's very easy to do with you i had such a great time likewise it's it's a very easy it comes naturally when speaking to someone like you thank you on that note fyi i'm just going to stop recording gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out this is a labor of love one i hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating and having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice.